<clears throat> if you have your Bibles, I'd like to invite you to take them and turn with me. This is a different spot for us than where we have been, and Lord willing, we'll become quite familiar with the book of Genesis. We begin, this is January the 1st, January 1. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. <clears throat> and we'll kind of dive a little bit into verse 2 today, but we're not going to get too far into it. I want to welcome every single one of you here this morning. I know you've been up late, okay? But you have made it here this morning. You have begun with a great discipline of being in the Lord's house on the Lord's day together with the Lord's people. I welcome every one of you. I do have to note a special welcome officially, officially here for the first time, we welcome Luna Ann Fry, who is here, and we celebrate alongside of Mike and Sierra and Big Brother. Rev, you think you had a busy week. Try giving birth, what, on, on Christmas Day, the day after Christmas, and being here on New Year's Day. Congratulations, Fry family. We had a, a wonderful week this week. We had all of our family together, and it was crazy and wild and fun and, and uh, just, just delighting in how the kids, the little ones, we have five grandchildren growing in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And we have nothing to do with it. They're, they're in their parents' hands. I was reminded just this week, we were actually out shopping for a couple little gifts, and, and Denson, our oldest grandchild, he's six years old, was convincing Pop-Pop that he needed, he needed, it was a need, okay, not a want, the Avenger walkie-talkie wristwatch. And, and he was good. This is a direct quote. Pop-Pop, if I have this, I could give the other one to Logan, and we could talk about the gospel together. <laughs> Mom and dad are doing pretty well on that one. Let's just say that he landed the walkie-talkie, okay? I'm like, <laughs> tears. I'm not getting the story, just tears. Like, he's getting it. And then he says, hey, Pop-Pop, you think we could share the gospel with Santa Claus, too? I'm like, yeah, he needs it, boy. Um, it, is a, it is a delight, and, and I just celebrate. It's, there's, I think as we get older, as we age, there's a, we become more contemplative over the past 365 days. And, and we kind of, I always see like the door creaks open. Like last night, the door creaks open. And, and, and before us is like a whole nother year. Like what, what? is in store. I will assure you that there are trials and there are terrors in this next year to come. I guarantee it for some of us. There are celebrations and joys, but I want us to understand that we are held tight. The sovereign God watches over us every single step of this next year, every single day, every, every hour, every minute. And we, we today, hopefully, we get a foundation put in place from this book here and this message this morning that we are reminded of that as we commence another year together. Um, it is fitting and more than appropriate for us to bow our heads 
before a holy, sovereign God and just thank him for his goodness and his grace and ask for him to speak to us through his word this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, our, our heads are bowed as a sign of submission to your authority. We come boldly, and, and it sounds, there's, there's a tone of arrogance to say that we come boldly into your presence. But Lord, we do that only because of and through the, the work of Jesus. And we just rejoice, and we thank you for your goodness to us, that you've sustained us. We know, Lord, that this past year has been challenging on many levels for many people, and you've been faithful. Father, we trust you as as we take the first step of many. We have much to give thanks for, for sustaining us, for blessing us, for providing for us, for protecting us. But Lord, even right now, and as we will examine in this text before us, there are people that are in darkness. And I pray, Lord, that you would use us to speak the light of the gospel into their lives. And Lord, we desperately, desperately need your help, your wisdom, your, your, your patience, and your mercies. Father, I, I want to lift up um, one of our own families. Brian and Rachel Monti and Colton and Joshua. And we pray, Lord, for them in the midst of trial and that they would sense love from their family. May we surround ourselves around them and pray for them. We pray for softened hearts where it needs to be. And Lord, that grace would always be extended and and love would be present and there'd be full restoration and celebration of your goodness and your love and your forgiveness. Father, may all of us be reminded that We need to be careful with the way that we live our lives. We need to be open and transparent. And Father, we just rejoice that as family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as we come into our Father's presence, that you love us unconditionally and you draw us unto yourself through the power of your Spirit. We we pray for that. We, We thank you, Lord, for the celebration of dear little Luna. We, we thank you, Lord, for the young ones that you brought into this body and the way that you're allowing this body to grow. We thank you for the exciting things that are happening over the next year. We just pray, Lord, that we would always keep you at the forefront and the focus. Lord, even now for these few moments before us, I just plead for your help. Give clarity of thought and mind and speech. May, may we together hear a word from you and may you encourage our hearts, exhilarate us, and stir within us the affections, greater affections for you. Oh, how we love you and we thank you for this time. May you be glorified in it. We ask this in the amazing and matchless and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. We have a new year before us. We have a, um, it's a new beginning. It's, it's fresh. It's uncharted. It's, I I think at some level it's exciting, but it's also at the same time terrifying all at once. And I think it's the perfect time. I don't know if I've ever actually begun a 
a new series on the first day of the year before. And so we look into the book of Genesis, the second longest book in the entire Bible. Just to prepare yourselves and put your seatbelts on, 50 chapters, 1,533 verses. I'm totally convinced I will die before I get to the end of this study, but that's okay. It is a monumental book, and I will say it right out of the gates, okay? It can be a controversial book as well. I've heard and read the importance of Genesis described like this. Quote, the Bible is the word of God, and Genesis is the foundation stone of that great literary edifice. In it... We hear about, we read about, we are introduced to such great significant subjects. The origin, the very creation of mankind. The forming of our entire universe. The sun and stars and moon, the planets, the earth. From every imaginable landscape. Think of this, the tallest of mountains to the deepest of seas, and every imaginable living creature from the giant beluga whale to the tiniest microorganisms. There's amazing significant subjects. There's significant historical events that are just within this book. Not only do we see the creation of mankind, but we also read of and learn of the fall of mankind. Human rebellion a curse from God and its consequences, and God's endless pursuit to redeem us. We learn of the historic flood, the Tower of Babel, the birth of the nations. We learn of significant people. We're introduced to what Adam and Eve, ones like greats, like Noah, Abraham, and Sarah, Isaac, Isaac Jacob, Joseph, and, and the list goes on. But all of that, the, the events, the people, the subjects, all of it pales in comparison to its first and its most important subject matter, God himself. In the beginning, God. You have to realize that the ancient Jewish people were not scientists, they were not necessarily theologians or philosophers. So the fact that a relative, relatively primitive people, I like how James Montgomery Boyce says it, bequeath upon us a book embodying the most profound wisdom. The case with these opening words, as well as other passages, should convince us at the beginning that the book has been given to us by God. End quote. You realize what's in, in, in store for us? You realize what is before us? It was the custom of ancient Jewish times for a book to be named by its opening word, which is exactly what the Hebrews did right here in the titling of this first book of the Bible. It's Bereshith in Hebrew. It literally means in the beginning. Therefore, we understand and we know that it all begins, it must begin with God. And before we kind of even dive into our first point, and I'll read the text in just a moment, it, it begins by telling us certain things about God that we have to understand. In a sense, this is the foundation that everything is couched upon. Number one, we will see that God is self-existent. 
This book is from God. The, 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 the God that we speak of is self-existent. This is not true of anything or anyone else. Yet you have to think about it like this. Everything else depends on some other thing or person, but not so with God. And we recognize this truth when we speak about what we would call the laws of cause and effect, which states what? Every effect must have an adequate cause. If you had the conversations with the little ones, and they come up at some particular time with like, where did I come from? And you always look forward to those interesting conversations. And then what? At some level, the next question is, well, where did, where did daddy and mommy then come from? And it kind of builds back. Like, they're sharp. They know this. Well, then where did Pop-Pop and Mimi come from? And so on and so on. But God here is the ultimate cause and is therefore himself uncaused. And I know that's hard for us to kind of wrap our finite mind around. God has no origins. Scripture repeatedly speaks of this. The one who, in a sense, is responsible, we'll talk to the, this in, in a moment. I, don't, I, I know that we call Moses the author, but God is the author. Moses is the one who, in a sense, God allowed to collect this work. But it was to what? It was to Moses that God actually describes himself in Exodus chapter 3. What? I am who I am. The ultimate phrase the ultimate verse that speaks of an uncaused God Moses kind of nervous about the entire assignment like who, who do I tell them sent me and you tell them what I am sent you we see in John chapter 5 verse 26 for just as the father has life in himself even so he gave to the son also to have life in himself. We see the same theme throughout Scripture. Psalm chapter 90, verse 2. Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is self-existent. I think one of my favorite verses comes from the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God. Listen to this description. Who is who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I am who I am. I always was, I always will be. That's the one that we begin to focus on this morning. Not only is God self-existent, but let's raise the bar, if you could raise it even higher, to the fact that God is also self-sufficient. It means that God has no needs Whatsoever, Therefore, he is dependent upon no one. Unlike us. Dear little Luna, what? From the very moment is very dependent, just like all of us. We need oxygen. We need food. We need water in order to survive. And yet God, completely self-sufficient, answers to no one, has need of no one. God does not need to explain himself to anyone. Now thankfully, in his grace, he, he sometimes reveals and explains some things to us, but he doesn't have to. Hold on to this as we kind of 
begin the forage. God needs no helpers. Just think about that for a moment. God needs no defenders. And it's hard to wrap our mind around. God does not even need any worshipers. Psalm chapter 50 and verse 12 says, For the world and its fullness are mine. Acts chapter 17, verse 24 and 25. Actually, Pastor Aaron read this this morning. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Hebrews chapter 1, we actually looked at that just last week. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Romans chapter 11 verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Great 20th century English Bible teacher and author. Arthur, and I just love his middle name, Walkington. Pink. I mean, pink's a tough name to kind of have as a handle, but you mix in walking tin pink. And he writes a classic work on the attributes of God, and he says this, and I quote, God was under no constraint, no obligation, no necessity to create. That he chose to do so was purely a sovereign act on his part, caused by nothing outside of himself, determined by nothing but his own mere good pleasure. For what? He worketh all things after the counsel of his own good will. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. That he did create was simply for his manifest of glory. He is in no need of that external glory of his grace which arises from his redeemed. For he is a glorious enough himself without that. It was as Ephesians 1.5 tells us, according to the good pleasure of his will. The force of this is that it is impossible to bring the Almighty under the obligations of the creature. And listen to this. And God gains nothing from us. Now, now you come first thing, like, I'm here, God. Like, I woke up early. It's January 1st. Here I am. And then we're reminded with this truth that God doesn't need us. He doesn't need our worship. God actually, what? Gains nothing from us. Therefore, what? Right out of the gate. Let's just call it what it is. Immediate. There's, there's an immediate rub here. There's some kind of like friction that we don't like. There's, 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 a, there's a bother. Like this statement bothers us with the intent and the content of the grand narrative. Now why is, it, why is this such a rub for us? Here it is. Because you and I are not the star of the show. God is. So as, as, what, as that door kind of creaks open and we walk through and you've got like this long list. I'm going to be like, it's going to be amazing this year. And I'm going to be, let, let me remind you of this. The spotlight is not on you. 
Now, I think, I think, I'm hoping as we, as we grow slowly wise, as James Roper would say, as, as we are maturing, we begin to kind of get the idea. We realize that the world does not circumnavigate around us. Now, little ones don't quite get that. The world is about them. But as we grow in grace, we grow in knowledge, nurture, admonition of the Lord, we begin to realize that what? Actually, God is, and he must remain at the center. Now, why is this so important? So what is the question that we understand this? Why is it important that we begin here? Like we haven't even got to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 yet. And like we're already like back seat, back of the bus. Why, why is it important that we begin here? In this introduction, I know there's, there's a lot, but hang on with me. Several years ago, uh, Dr. D.A. Carson, I've been able to privilege to sit under his teaching a couple different times, distinguished uh, professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School who wrote one of his earlier works one of his classic works is referred to as the gagging of God Christianity confronts pluralism a giant work on how Christians how you and I today can speak of the grace of God in a world that openly rejects okay so this is the world that we live in openly mocks rejects and even boasts of the fact that there is no need of what you people believe there's no need of your word there's no need of your god carson writes this in order to be effective witnesses to christ in our age now we we live for god's glory by speaking of his glory in order to be effective witnesses to Christ in our age, we will need to learn to go back to the Bible and present our case as the Bible does. We will need to learn to begin with the doctrine of God as creator, explaining who he is and what he has done. Explain how human beings are created in the image of God and are therefore responsible to God for what we do. How we have fallen from our high intents and need someone to rescue us. We must trace the narrative, the storyline of Scripture from the Old Testament characters to Jesus himself. End quote. In, in other words, what, what, is, what is Carson saying? In other words, we've got to recognize that our world today... Like you, don't, you don't just get to live with the spotlight on you. That we are here for purpose. That our world today is as spiritually needy and as desperately broken as it was on the day of the fall. And just as we know the answer is found in the pages of Scripture, the answer is found in the pages of Scripture we must become familiar with. We must become acquainted with and we must become comfortable with. I would present to you the book of Genesis. If we cannot offer answers to some of life's most basic questions that people inevitably will ask you about what? About God and about man themselves, then we're going to have a hard time getting to the gospel. 
I left you a quote, just a gift, just like a happy new year gift, just because I love you guys. Left you a little quote. Haley put it on the bottom of the little note sheet. James Montgomery Boyce, study Genesis. Start at the beginning of everything. And you will find that our understanding of the Christian faith will be wonderfully and deeply enriched, that your ability to talk about Christ and the gospel will be significantly enhanced. People ask me all the time, Pastor, I just, I'm just like, I'm having a hard time. Like, I'm building relationships. I'm spending time. We're inviting them over for, for coffee, for breakfast. But I'm having a hard time, like, making the turn. You know what I mean by, like, make the turn. Like, it's not just about talking what kind of trees you got in your backyard. Like, that's cool, but that's not, like, that's not going to cut it. How do we begin to make the turn towards what? Get the little walkie-talkie, give it to your buddy Logan. We can talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that, that's why this is so key. Almost done with my introduction. Here we go. You got nothing going for the rest of the day, okay? No Sunday school. Background here just real quick. Traditionally, Moses is considered to have been the, the collector of all of God's information that he has given to him, the author of Genesis, as well as the rest of the Pentateuch. Of course, we know that Moses lived later than the events that we read about in the book of Genesis. Presumably, stories were passed down about these earlier events, and Moses brought them all together. The first audience, obviously, was for the Israelites. And, and this book is probably written while they're actually in the journey of the wilderness. For you and I today, Genesis is essential introduction to the rest of the Bible. It is rightly called the book of beginnings. From internal dating... Dates around 15th century B.C. as they're in the wilderness. As God's people, think about this, they're dreaming like every single step that they take. They're dreaming about, they've heard about this promised land. Inevitably, what's going to happen? They're going to ask about what? How did we get here? Like, who, who are we? What is our purpose? Like, who's, who's, our, who's our ancestors? Inevitably, we're going to ask about the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Thus God met with Moses, gave him, gave him this word, not only the book of Genesis, but the entire Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. The theme of Genesis is creation, sin, and recreation. And we see this. God made the world very good, first cursed it, destroyed it by the flood because of man's disobedience. And what? The, the, the sin of humanity continues to spoil. Thus the promise. God chose Abraham. Offered him a special purpose. A special promise. Through his family, all nations would be blessed. And we see a lot of that. Basically divides into two sections. Very simply by way of an outline. The first 11 chapters we refer to as prime evil history of the world, major events, creation, fall, the first people, Adam's descendants, Noah's descendants, and then we have patriarchal history from chapters 11, all the, chapter 12, I should say, all the way to chapter 50, Terah's descendants, Isaac's descendants, Jacob's descendants. So in a sense, it breaks pretty evilly into two sections. Go with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1. 
and verse 2. The word of the Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. God gives to Moses, first and foremost, a declaration. He's, he's declaring this is what has happened in the beginning. God was there in the beginning. The context means literally the beginning of time itself, not, not just sometime within like an unplanned, accidental, not sometime within eternity, but the beginning. We usually can't get too far. Think about it in our own conversations, let alone in our relationships, without first discovering what a little bit about our background, like, who, like when, we, when we establish a relationship with someone, we begin to go beyond just what's in front of you. We begin to ask their story. Like how, how did you get here? Your, your background, your roots, your origin. Where, where were you born? Where did you grow up? And we ask questions in relationship to understanding about family and siblings and school. But of far greater importance than just our family past or our ethnic origins is, is this question, is the beginning of the human race, the beginning of all of mankind, and as we think about making the turn to conversations of the gospel, inevitably what? Who, who, like, who are we? Where did we come from? These questions are going to be asked. Why are we here? What is our relationship with the rest of, of creation? Is creation here for us or are we here for Creation. Now, now, what Moses does here is he begins intentionally using very specialized, what we would refer to in our craft as honed language. The word created is only used in Scripture to speak of God. Why? Because only God creates. Pastor Stewart did a masterful job. I love to see like a children's message, a pocket promise with no prop. Like, that's good. That's, that's tough. And that's exactly what's happened because we tend to think of, it's like these guys are reading my notes or something. We tend to think of creating something. We, we create art. We create music and poetry. We, we create or form pottery or a building. An architect creates. And we think about that Noah, we listen to the song on the radio, we sing about what? Noah built a boat. He didn't create a boat. Why? Because we all need something in our hands in order to create. We need something to build with. We need notes of music to put the music together. That reveals how much I know about my language of music. We, we need building supplies in order to build. We need, we need paints and clay. We need something to work with 
in order to what? Reflect the creator's image. And we create something, but we always have to start with something. Whereas God in this context creates just as Stuart mentioned, ex nihilo, what? Out of nothing. In the beginning, the beginning, God creates out of nothing, and it says what? The combination heavens and earth. Again, each word is very specialized here. It's called a, a mirrorism. It's a statement of two opposites that, that indicate a totality of something. In the beginning, God created what? The, the cosmos. God created everything that there is in all of creation. And, and even that, we begin to kind of step back and say, like, okay, so what is, what is that? Cambridge University physicist, many of us know of his name, Stephen Hawking. Many claim is the most brilliant theoretical physicist since Albert Einstein, who was a what we know is an outspoken atheist, who simply said that what? God and heaven... Heaven is a fairy tale for people who are afraid of the dark. And yet at some level, even in his denial of God himself, he is very accurate on what God has actually created for us. Hawking says this, and I quote, just, just try to wrap your mind. Hawking says the most brilliant says in his, in, his, in his best-selling, A Brief History of Time, our galaxy is an average-sized spiral galaxy that looks to other galaxies like a swirl in a pastry roll and that it is over 100,000 light-years across, about 600 trillion miles. He says, we know that our galaxy is only one of some hundred thousand millions that can be seen using modern telescopes. Each galaxy itself containing some hundred thousand million stars. It is commonly held that the average distance between these hundred thousand million galaxies, each 600 trillion miles across and containing 100,000 million stars, is three million light years. I know you're lost because I am too. On top of that, we think of what? Edwin Hubble, the Hubble telescope, which is nothing after Hawking died. We know what just this fall has come out with the Webb telescope. And we know even more and can see even further. Based upon the Doppler effect, has shown that all red spectrum galaxies are moving away from us and that nearly all are red. Thus, the universe is constantly expanding some estimates say that the most distant galaxy is 8 billion light years away and racing away at 200 million miles an hour. Finally, the fact of expanding universe demands a beginning. It's interesting that Hawking, who uh, was one who, who said now he, he, he doubted the Big Bang Theory at some level. It didn't just come from chaos. So we begin to see what, what exactly did he... It's, it's breathtaking. It's sheer awesomeness of creation and the subject of many texts of Scripture. There are quotes and poems in Job 28. 
Job 58, excuse me, uh, Psalm chapter 19, Psalm chapter 33, Isaiah chapter 45, just this one verse here, a couple verses actually, in Isaiah chapter 40, to whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Kids got a little telescope to look up at the stars and it gets very confusing right away. That's in a sense what God spoke into existence. Now just imagine this. Remember the audience. Can you just imagine the Israelites? They are wandering through the desert. They are homeless. They are helpless in many ways. Can you imagine them listening to this as what? As they've been watching the sandals of their feet, it says in Deuteronomy, are not wearing out. And, and, and what food is literally what being, being given to them from heaven every single day. Can you just imagine them with their mouth wide open? Whoa! What is this? Today we so desperately need to lift up our own eyes. To be reminded of this one. Lift up what? Our eyes from the constant just barrage of depressing and evil destructiveness that literally just surrounds us. It seems to crush us and envelop us. We need to lift up our eyes and we need to see a God like that who spoke all of that into existence. It's, it's a clear declaration, first and foremost. Secondly, we also see a description. Listen to this. The, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. There's an interesting word here it's in Hebrew, it's, and you'll hear this oftentimes in, in, in theology, tohu wabohu. It means literally without form and void. Well, actually, it was a common expression. I just like to say tohu wabohu because it's fun to say. That, that was used to describe a place that was disordered and empty. A place that literally is described as uninhabitable. You cannot live here. It was desolate. There was nothing that existed and spread over this uninhabitable place was complete and utter darkness. It, just think for a moment darkness. Like, you know, have you been in like Think Inc. for a moment? You ever, ever been in a situation like that? Not, not like darkness and there's like a little tiny crack in the door or a little what blue light in the distance that somebody left something on that we see it. Like nothing. Years ago when the kids were young, we thought it'd be fun to terrify them in a, in a gold mine, an old gold mine in Colorado. And you put on the little dumb looking light on your head and you go down, okay? And it is, it is like really dark. And, you, and you're thankful for this. And then when you get down there in the midst of that darkness, and you're like, this is really, really creepy. This is really deep. This is really dark. Then they turn the lights off. And it's like you could, it's, you could, you could, you could like swim in the darkness. It's that dark. That's the description that is here. Yet, God spoke 
and God was there. Psalm 139 describes it like this. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. And then under the darkness covering the earth was the deep, the primeval ocean. In a sense, it is the sea before the sea. And I'm like, whoa, that is hard to think of. That's hard to imagine. It's hard to envision. Commentator for the book of Genesis, Umberto Casuto, says, just as the potter, when he wishes to fashion a beautiful vessel, takes first of all a lump of clay and places it upon his wheel in order to mold it according to his wish. So the creator first prepared for himself the raw material with a view to giving it afterwards order and life. It is this terrestrial state that is called tohu and bohu. Now, now, in a sense, we spend a lot of time on describing something that cannot be described. Why is this? And I know, I know that we will get to, like, this is first day, creation will get there, and we don't even have the time. Spirit hovering, Numa, we're not even going to get there today. Like, that's too much for us. On this first day of creation, what will happen? God will shine light into darkness. Why is this important? On this first day, God will shine light into darkness. Why is this important? Because as you and I take the first step of 2023, we have to be reminded what? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our own hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You realize what's happening here? There has been a light that has what? Not only been spoken into existence by God, but there has been a light that has been ignited in your own hearts through the gift of God's grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is for a person. Why? So you give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, of all that we've talked about this morning. And it's just breathtaking. We give that light to others. God, God created heaven and earth. Let me tell you this. Some of you are so exasperated and so frustrated and so exhausted that you barely, you barely, you didn't just limp out of 2022. You were like crawling out. And it's in this moment, it's in this story, I want you to understand, he can make you new as well. And you need to hold on to that. God pierced the darkness with light. And he can take you, what? When you just feel like you're just swimming in it. And he can, he can take you out of the darkness. Into, as First Peter says, what? The marvelous light. And that's what he does. That's the God that we worship. That's the God that we stand up and we sing about. We bow our heads and we pray to. You realize out of emptiness, how do people describe their lives in the world today? Why are people killing themselves? 
Why, why is there such nastiness and attacks constantly? Because there is emptiness of their own soul. That's when God speaks. Out of darkness, again, that surrounds us, that is so evident, that has blinded people, that has misled people, that has kept them ensnared and entrapped in sin, in the sin of darkness. It's in that setting that God speaks, that God enters. Now, may we be encouraged with this view, this comment, this simple word of God, who he is, what he has offered us as his own children, and what we can offer and should offer to others. I am excited about this year, terrified about this year, and yet I know that a God who speaks everything into existence from nothing, we put our trust and our faith in him, and we will do well. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your promises. I do pray that your spirit would take this seed, this little tiny seed that has been implanted into our hearts, and Lord, please allow it to flourish. Please allow it to germinate into new life. Help us, Lord, to, to be gathered together in strength that is from you and you alone. May, may, you, may you, the ultimate light, shine brighter this year into our lives, into the lives of those around us, our family members, into the lives of our community, our country, and this world. May you use us to speak of the greatness and the glory of you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.